Welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to your Monday here on The Ralph Report. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you all had a good weekend. Mine was excellent. We did uh, Hollywood Babylon, Kevin Smith and I, on Saturday night here in Los Angeles to a sold-out crowd. People could not have been nicer. Many cocktails were had afterwards at the bar. I met a lot of very nice folks, and we hung out and took some pictures. And People are saying very nice things about the first week of The Ralph Report, by the way, which is awesome, and uh, I truly appreciate your support. It is a Monday morning, and last Monday when we premiered The Ralph Report, I... I just let it fly out there for free. I just let people sample it and and give it a listen and see if people would like it and then want to become patrons and enjoy the rest of the week. And it it worked pretty well. So what I'm going to do again this Monday is also just put it out there in the world. Uh, Folks will be able to hear it for free. And if you like it, go to patreon.com slash the Ralph Report and uh, sign up for the rest of the week. It's going to be a really good week, by the way. A lot of good stuff coming up. We have, of course, the Bachelor Report tomorrow. My buddy Petros Papadakis will be stopping by. We'll be talking about The Bachelor. Also, Ralph Sex University this week. Very interesting topic suggested by one of our listeners of The Ralph Report of uh, BDSM. That, For those who don't know, that's uh, bondage, discipline, and sadomasochism. Uh, dominance and submission. The power exchange of sexuality. That's going to be a good one. And all week long... Let me tell you, this is my favorite part of this week's shows. We'll be, uh, every day, I'll be playing you highlights of my interview with my friend Eric Stone Street, Cam from Modern Family. And not only is it a great interview, it runs almost two hours. And as always, uh, our two-star generals and above will get the complete, unedited version of that interview at the end of the week as a little bonus content. But I'll be giving you the best of Throughout the week, each day we'll be playing a little bit of it. And because the interview was conducted over an entire bottle of Buffalo Trace bourbon, you will hear throughout the course of this week two men getting progressively drunker as they uh, hang out and talk. It is, um, I've listened, and it is painfully obvious (laughs) in the interview that we are imbibing. So uh, embarrassing, sure, but entertaining, hell yes. So that's a reason enough, I think, to sign up for the Ralph Report this week to hear all that good stuff. Excuse me, if you will, on this Monday morning. And I apologize, because I know recently I, I've been talking about Philadelphia, my hometown, a lot. Maybe more so than usual. And I'm a proud Philly boy. But you have to forgive me. Because first of all, it is called the Ralph Report. It, it is my show. But secondly, this is certainly a very special week for Philadelphians because the Super Bowl is coming up this weekend. And the Eagles are in that Super Bowl for the first time in 13 years. So you'll have to give me a little leeway when it comes to talking about my town and my team. And I got to admit, this morning I woke up and I was looking through uh, the local news there in Philly, which I do. I still keep up on what's going on. And I'm homesick. I miss Philly. I lived in L.A. for many, many years, but Philly is still my spiritual home. I grew up there, and I, and I go back all the time, and I, and I miss it sometimes more than others. And this is one of those weeks where I really wish I was there because that town is going nuts right now. You don't understand how much they love 
their sports, first of all, but this team in particular. So they're going crazy. There's a section of Philadelphia along the Schuylkill River, which is the river that runs through the city, uh, called Boathouse Row. And that's where all of the colleges, and they have their crew teams, they keep their boats in these buildings along Boathouse Row. And I just saw it all decked out in green for the Eagles with all these lights everywhere at night. It's a beautiful sight. Regularly, it's a beautiful sight, but all in green really moved me. I read stories about entire jury pools waiting to serve jury duty, being led in song for the Eagles fight song down there at City Hall. Impromptu rallies happening at the Natural History Museum, on the, at the Eagles exhibit, in companies, in, in break rooms. It's just madness. And I, God damn it, I wish I was there to experience it. And then my joy turned to anger at one point as I read what the mayor of Philadelphia is doing in terms of a bet with another mayor there in Massachusetts. Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kinney has announced he is putting the iconic Rocky statue on the line in a Super Bowl bet with the Boston area mayor, reads this story. Brockton, Massachusetts is a city near Boston, um, 20 miles south of Boston. That is the home of real-life boxer, heavyweight champion Rocky Marciano. Philly, of course, is the home of fictional boxer Rocky Balboa. Now, both cities have statues. We, of course, have Philly's Rocky statue, which is the movie prop from Rocky Three, And then they've got a statue of Rocky Marciano, the heavyweight champ, that is a big deal to them. So here's the bet. From the, between the two mayors. Whichever team wins the Super Bowl, the other mayor will dress their respective statue in the other team's uniform. So if the Patriots win, Rocky Balboa will be dressed in a Patriots uniform and uh, vice versa, Rocky Marciano in Eagles wear should the Eagles prevail. Although Philly Mayor Jim Kinney said, and rightly so, that he can't promise how long a Boston's jersey would last on the statue in the city of Philadelphia, knowing how rabid those fans are. Here's my take. Don't do that. You don't get to fuck with the city's monuments for your bet. Most mayors bet, oh, I'll send you a truckload of cheesesteaks and you send us, I don't know, beans or whatever the fuck it is that Boston has to offer. But Samuel Adams, pale ale. Jesus, that stuff's pissing a bottle. Um, you know, whatever you want to exchange, that's fine, but don't punish the city if something should go horribly wrong and they lose that game. And then they have to be embarrassed by having one of their famous local monuments defaced with the other team's uniform. That's not, that's not okay. And I know it's all done in in fun and stuff, but there's nothing lighthearted or, or entertaining about this wager. This is life or death stuff here to Philadelphia Eagles fans. So I figured this morning I got to call somebody about this. I got to complain. So I'm gonna dial. I'm gonna dial up right now. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call somebody about this and complain. Let's see if we can't get this whole thing sorted out. Hello. Yes, yeah, Sly. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, this is Sylvester Stallone. Who's this? Sly, it's Ralph Garman with the Ralph Report. Yo, Ralph, how you doing, huh? It's good to talk to you guys. You know, it's been like a while before we talked and stuff. Stuff, you know. Yeah, Sly, I just was wondering if you heard about this bet that was going on between the mayor of Philadelphia and the mayor of Brockton, Massachusetts. No, you know, I don't keep up too much on, like, you know, mayors and bets and things, you know. So why don't you tell me what's going on with this bet? 
Well, the mayor of Philadelphia says if the Patriots should win the Super Bowl this weekend, and I know you're a big Eagles fan, um, should things go south, that your statue, the statue of Rocky, at the steps of the Art Museum in Philadelphia will have to wear a Patriots jersey. Well, you kidding me? That's like mentally irregular, you know? You can't put, you can't deface a work of art like that, you know? It's like putting a mustache on the Mona Lisa, you know? <laughs> no, it's not like that at all, really. It's not, it's just a prop from a movie. It's not actual art. I say it is art, right? The guy's like all handsome. He looks like, you know, a Greek god. He's all sculpted, you know? It's unbelievable, that guy. Look, I agree. I think it's a bad bet. We have to find something else. We have to find some substitute bet that they'll go for uh, should should things not work out our way. I'll tell you what. Instead of the bet on the Super Bowl, let's put that bet on something else. Why don't I get in the ring, you know? I'll get, like, a fight with Belichick. It's like me and Belichick in the ring, like, you know, 12 rounds, see who wins. Well, I don't know if that would really be fair. I mean, Belichick is a... 65-year-old man. I'm a 71-year-old man, you know? So I think he would have an advantage. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that you're six years older than him, but you are. It's true. Uh, no, I don't think that's right. Yeah, so it should be like Rocky versus Hoodie. That'd be good. No, I don't think they're going to go for that. What if I fight Tom Brady, you know? You know, I bomb Tom. Look, the names for these fights are very catchy, but I don't think they're going to let you fight anybody from the uh, New England Patriots. All right, what if I fight Giselle? You know, get in the ring with Giselle, and let's see how that goes. <laughs> you would fight, you would box a woman for Philadelphia's honor? That's right. We'll call it punching, bunching. <laughs> okay. All right, Sly. You know what? Keep keep working on it, and we'll get back to you later this week. Thank you, sir. Got to go. While we're talking about show business, why don't we get into the showbiz beat? So the big news in entertainment is last night's Grammy Awards were handed out in New York City, and boy, I wish I gave a shit about anybody who was there or any of the music that was being celebrated last night. Uh, not a lot for me in last night's show. Oh, well, there were some highlights um, before the show even started on the red carpet. Cardi B was uh, walking the red carpet. You know her as a female rapper, number one hit song. She was on the red carpet talking to Juliana Rancic from E. I was surprised to see Juliana Rancic last night. I thought she had uh, gone back to the mothership and returned to her homeworld. But she was talking to Cardi B, and uh, Cardi B gave a good interview, as they say. She was very entertaining on the red carpet. Here's a clip. Look who I have, Cardi B joining me! <laughs> oh my God, I've been dying to talk to you. How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling nervous, overwhelmed, everything. <laughs> you feel it all right now. I feel it all. Ooh, butterfly <laughs> in my stomach and vagina. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, butterflies were the least of what was in her vagina last night, I guarantee you. James Corden was the host last night, and he was very competent, and uh, he did a good job moving things along. Had had some funny bits, including a pre-taped bit where he was trying to win a spoken word Grammy Award by having people audition to narrate the book Fire and Fury. That's uh, Michael Wolff's best-selling account of Donald Trump's White House and how nutty it is. So I had a bunch of celebrities uh, auditioning for that. Cardi B returned again. John Legend, Cher, Snoop Dogg. But the surprise was the closer, the one who actually got the gig to narrate the book, was none other than Hillary Clinton rising like a phoenix from the ashes of defeat to do a comedy bit on an award show. How proud she must have been last night. Stand by. Take one. 
He had a longtime fear of being poisoned. One reason why he liked to eat at McDonald's. Nobody knew he was coming, and the food was safely pre-made. That's it. We've got it. That's the one. You think so? Oh, yeah. The Grammy's in the bag? In the bag. <laughs> anyway, here's your list of the big winners from last night. Bruno Mars was the big winner. He won all six awards that he was nominated for, including Album, Song, and Record of the Year. Kendrick Lamar followed close behind with five Grammys, including Best Rap Album. And Jay-Z, who led with all nominations with eight, was shut out completely. So someone's got to be pissed this morning. Record of the Year was 24 Karat Magic, Bruno Mars. Also the Album of the Year, as I mentioned. Best New Artist, Alicia Cara, was the winner of that award. Best Rock Performance. This cheesed me off a bit. Uh, you got Chris Cornell with The Promise in the Running, Run with Foo Fighters, and You Want It Darker. Leonard Cohen picked that up. I get it. He's a legend. He passed away. They gave it to him posthumously, but come on, really? Foo Fighters, however, did win for Best Rock Song for Run. Best Spoken Word Album. This was really sweet last night. It went to Carrie Fisher for The Princess Diarist, her reading of her own autobiography. Best Comedy Album went to Dave Chappelle in the age of spin and deep in the heart of Texas. So those are some of the big winners from last night. Uh, some good performances. If you're a big fan of Evita from Broadway, you were probably happy. Then uh, something odd happened. Elton John, who's going to get a big uh, celebration later this week from the Grammy folks, took the stage to do Tiny Dancer, one of his classic songs, and joining him on stage was Miley Cyrus. Now you got Elton John out there with his piano doing his, his classic song. I don't know why you need... Uh, this llama in a dress to join him on stage. Listen to her singing. W what is this all about? In the street, I don't. I don't need to watch a sheep on stage singing with Elton John. All right, let me give you some good news from the world of entertainment. Steven Spielberg has announced that the fifth Indiana Jones movie will indeed be his next project. That's great news. He says he's going to shoot that in 2019 for a 2020 release. So uh, Harrison Ford will be 77 years old when he's playing Indiana Jones for what is probably the last time. No official word on the title yet, but folks close to the project are saying it's Indiana Jones and the Prostate of Doom. Let's look at today's celebrity birthdays. All these stars born on today, Monday, the 29th of January. Catherine Ross, 78 years old. Have you ever seen Butch casting the Sundance Kid? Then you probably fell in love with Catherine Ross. Tom Selleck is 73. Mark Singer, the Beast's Master, he is 70 years old today. Oprah Winfrey is 64. Heather Graham is 48. And actress Sarah Gilbert turns 43 years old today. I'm Ralph Garman. I walk the showbiz beat. You know, I can't remember if I talked about it or not yet, but did I mention the Philadelphia Eagles are going to the Super Bowl? I may have brought it up at some time this morning. Anyway, the Super Bowl coming up is a big deal, so I did want to touch base this morning with our sports guy here on the Ralph Report from Yahoo Sports, a great writer and a great guy. He's my buddy. He is Jay Busby. However, I call him Buzz, and that's why this segment is called What's the Buzz? What's the Buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the Buzz? Tell me what's Happy Monday to you, Buzz. How are things going on with you? Dude, it is a wonderful week. It's Super Bowl week. It ought to be. It ought to be a national holiday, shouldn't it? The entire week. That's how I feel. We should all have the week off so we can just sit back, relax, and wonder about how many stitches came out of Tom Brady's hand this week. <laughs> 
Tell me some exactly. good news, Buzz. Tell me he's got gangrene or something. They got to take the hand. Tell me something that I'm going to want to hear. It, it, it's going to look like Luke Skywalker's hand in uh, Last Jedi, man. It's just going to be this this wiry claw of death. But, well, for uh, a long yeah, time, for a long, he... for a long time, I have said that the, the the New England Patriots are the evil empire of football. That that Brady is Darth Vader. And that Belichick is the emperor, and it's going to take this this little bunch of rebels from Philadelphia to rise up and blow up the Death Star. <laughs> exactly, Nick Foles. Yeah, Photoshop him into a little uh, rebel helmet. He'd look perfect. Exactly. So uh, as we lead into, and apparently everybody's in town now. Everybody's in Minneapolis. They're getting ready for the big game. And I did hear that they have taken the stitches out of Brady's hand, and that Gronk is practicing. Is that what I've heard? He is. Yeah, he's practicing. He's still in, in what the NFL calls concussion protocol, which, uh, you know, of course, the running joke is how would you tell if Gronk was concussed or not? But <laughs> he's not allowed to talk to the media right now. But uh, once he is, I'm sure that he will have plenty to say, but it seems like he's going to be playing. Now, I know that everyone is saying the Eagles are the underdog and, and understandably so. Let's face it. The, the Patriots are a powerhouse. But I always think that the most interesting bets are not necessarily who's going to win the game, but they're what they're called prop bets, proposition bets, right? Absolutely. That's that's where you can bet on any kind of aspect of the game from first commercial to coin flip. I love them. Now, oddsshark.com is a website. It's one of those offshore betting sites where you're able to, to wager on anything, and they've got a list of some of the prop bets, and I want to go through some of them because they're pretty terrific. Let's start <laughs> off with Pink will be singing the national anthem. Now, Pink is a local girl. She's from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, right outside Philadelphia. And they are saying there's an over-under as to whether she will be wearing Eagles gear, a shirt or hat, while singing the national anthem. If You you can bet 100 to win two. And if you think she's not going to wear it, you got to bet 500 to win one. So I guess that people are assuming she's going to be dressed uh, supporting her team. Yeah, it seems that way. It seems like Pink is going to at least somehow sneak in some sort of reference to the Eagles. But uh, that, see, this is the question. Would people be angrier if she snuck in a reference to the Eagles or if she took a knee? Because one of those two things <laughs> is just going to drive the rest of America insane. Even the halftime show, they've got bets for the halftime show, Buzz. Yeah, yeah. Well, Justin Timberlake is performing. And so, of course, the last time he was performing – you might remember. I don't know if this influenced you when you were on the radio, but hmm, uh, there's think. a little bit of a there was a little bit of something that happened there. What what was going on uh, in in your corner of the world when uh, when that incident took place? I'm trying to remember, our station was owned by CBS. The Super Bowl was on CBS. I'm trying to remember what was the big <laughs> deal. Oh, that's right. Janet Jackson's nipple poked everybody in the eye during the halftime show. Oh, what a what a quaint time that was. What a quaint time that was where we worry about a, a half second glimpse of a nipple and. Oh. That completely upended the entire planet. It really did. Uh, there's there's a bet as to whether Janet Jackson will be mentioned during the broadcast of the Super Bowl because Justin Timberlake is doing the halftime show. If her, her mentions are over one and a half, that's even money. You can bet 100 to win 100. And if it's under uh, 1.5, I think you got to bet, uh, what, 140 to win 100. So I guess they're speculating that her name will be bandied about just a bit during that broadcast. 
Yeah, you know, you wonder they're playing a little bit coy with this. The, the, the obviously the move for Justin Timberlake to do because he skated on that. Let's let's remember it torpedoed her career, but he was the one that yanked off for Bustier, and he absolutely skated on that. That's true. So there's a little bit of uh, the idea of a redemption arc there, where, where if he invites her back on stage and, and leaves her fully clothed, or hell, maybe she'll pull his pants off. You never know. <laughs> but one way or another, uh, she, they're gonna they're gonna close the circle there. And I'm not sure if uh, if the NFL would go for that. But uh, but it would certainly be a, be a nice gesture for Miss Jackson. How great would it be if she comes out on stage and just pulls his dick out in front of the world? <laughs> Wouldn't that be the best? It would be you know it would be a, it would be a fascinating conundrum for the NFL because it's kind of like a careful what you wish for you know if you want wholesome family entertainment this is what you end up with. The bets regarding Timberlake and the halftime show are insane on this website. You can bet on what color shoes he'll be wearing during his performance. If you lay down a hundred bucks on yellow, you could win $2,000. What I love about the way this is phrased, what color will they be wearing when, will he be wearing when he begins his performance? That's right. So they're even, they're, they're accounting for, for that's a 12 minute performance. They're accounting for a wardrobe change or two in there. You gotta, you gotta hit it when it begins, not when he ends. And of course, because Philadelphia is involved, there's also a bet you can wager on whether the Rocky statue will be shown during the broadcast. And I'm guessing it probably will because the, uh, the the bet between the cities involves their statues. Yeah. yeah. All I would like to see out of this, no matter what, is for someone like Fletcher Cox, someone like Chris Long, to go up to Tom Brady and Giselle Bundchen and, and pull the uh, the Mr. T routine about, you know, where he hollered at during Rocky III and he was like, hey, woman, hey, woman, you want to be with a real man? Yeah. I mean, if that, yeah. that not end up the uh, Super Bowl on a perfect note. Paper champion, you're dodging me. <laughs> It'd be perfect. While we're talking football, of course, everyone's talking about the Super Bowl. That's what we'll be looking at this week as we lead up to. But I would be remiss if I didn't get your feelings, Buzz, on the announcement from Vince McMahon, the godfather of professional wrestling, the WWE, announcing that he is bringing back the XFL for all our enjoyment in 2020, the return of that competitive football league that was supposed to be a real challenge to the NFL (laughs) that lasted exactly one season. Uh, he says he's going to bring it back. It's going to be family-oriented. There's going to be no kneeling, no political statements. It's going to be a much faster game, a better game. Uh, what's your take? Well, I mean, if it if it delivers what he promises, hell, I'll, I'll buy season tickets. I mean, it, it, he's promising the world. And, of course, the question is whether he can deliver anything close to that. People love the XFL for exactly one game. And then they realize that the best player on the XFL – was a guy who couldn't even crack the practice squad on the NFL. Yeah. And and the, the the quality of the play was so bad that people just completely dropped out. NBC stopped broadcasting the games, and it was a colossal failure. Are we really going to see this league happen in 2020? What do you think? I think that we will see it. I think that there's enough there's enough backing. And, and even though he says it's non-political, it, it, it's political in a different way. You know, it's, it's, it's appealing to a different segment of fans and fans who say that they want real football, good old football, the way it used to be. I think it'll it'll see the light of day, but I can't see. I mean, it's just so damn tough to take on the NFL for all, all the hits the NFL's taken this past year. It is still the the ten thousand pound gorilla in the room and the behemoth, and and it will crush any serious competition. And it's the best product they can put on the field, right? I mean, those guys are the elite. They're the best of the best from colleges all over the country, and they're, they're just isn't enough talent to to I think populate an entire another league. Yeah, well, when you've got one team going zero and sixteen, I mean, you've you've already. <laughs> <laughs> the talent is already spread pretty damn thin when you've got one team that can't even win a single game. You know, uh, Vince McMahon did say that no player with a criminal record would be allowed to play in the XFL. If you have a DUI, you can't play in his XFL. 
But he did yeah, not. Yeah, I was hard to hear that. I guess that probably knocks out you and I both. We both got long criminal histories. Oh, so, yeah, you, you don't know, look into my closet. <laughs> um, but he didn't mention whether you get to write whatever you want on the back of your jersey, which for, for me, that was always the appeal of the XFL. Yeah, yeah. He Hate Me, of course, is the guy that everyone recalls. And uh, and there was there were plenty of other ones. But anything that – I am in favor of that. Anything that, that, that adds a little bit of, of life to the NFL, because the NFL is – it can be – like a you know like a board meeting where people hit each other every so often it can be so staid and buttoned down and I think the NFL does need a little kick in the ass and it's worth remembering that the XFL did bring some innovations that sky cam that you see cruising over the field that was an XFL innovation the game got sped up a bit because of the XFL so if it can give the NFL a kick in the ass and make the NFL's product better I'm all for it well, that's, that's my point, is he's missing out on the opportunity. What he should do is go the opposite direction and only hire guys with criminal records to play in the XFL. <laughs> Maybe even give them weapons, you know, give them, a, give them a baseball bat with some nails in it or a two-by-four. I mean, let's, let's really push the envelope. If you want to change I things, you want to make things exciting, there's a whole other direction you can go. I don't want to see guys with cleaner records. I want to see dirtier guys. <laughs> It's like a variant of the old uh, steroid baseball league, you know, just juice everybody up and have them hit uh, 700 foot home runs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm all for it. Chainsaws on the field. Remember like rollerball? Remember rollerball with James Kahn? Rollerball, Death Race 2000, all of it. It would be it would be perfect. I think it would probably fit our age, our American age this year. That's what I'm saying. Bring it all. We're circling the drain anyway. Let's go down and, <laughs> and just a <laughs> A big ball of flames. What do you say? Beautiful. Beautiful. Buzz, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And uh, I know you're not going to be at the Super Bowl because you've already made your deal with the devil. You get to go to uh, South Korea for the Olympics. But uh, let's talk after the Super Bowl and we'll compare notes, okay? I look forward to it. And good luck to your Eagles, man. I appreciate it, sir. We'll be talking to Buzz again after the game. Oh, come on. Please let me be happy after the game. Please. And now, speaking of being happy, here is something you're really going to like. I guarantee it. His name is Eric Stone Street. He's a friend of mine. He's enormously talented. He's very funny. He is on the smash hit television sitcom Modern Family. And I sat down and talked with Eric for about two hours the other day. And uh, we killed a bottle of bourbon between us while we did it. Very fun. I want to thank all the four-star generals who pitched in and gave me questions to ask Eric throughout the interview. In this first highlight, I talked to Eric about growing up in Kansas City, and then we're also going to touch on some of his charity work that he does with some other famous friends raising money for kids with cancer. So it's a great clip. I think you're going to enjoy this interview all week long. Here is Eric Stone Street. I am here with the legend, just ask him, Eric Stone Street, (laughs) two-time Emmy winner, Try to get into his house without him showing you those Emmys, by the way. It's, that would be hard to do. Well, and uh, People are going to believe that. <laughs> we're sitting here because, first of all, he's one of my favorite people. But also, uh, the Ralph Report is uh, is in desperate need of star power. So I'm reaching out to my friends. I, I feel like it's the end of It's a Wonderful Life, and George Bailey thinks his life is over, and his friends show up, and they start dumping cash on his table. Wait, you want cash? <laughs> That's what I want. Oh. That's what I'm here well, you for. Ju- we could have just <laughs> saved an hour, and I could have just get- given you money. No, your, your cash is your words, is your, is your talent. That's what I'm taking from oh. you today. So thanks, my friend, for stepping up and being here Thank you. with me. Uh, this is how this goes. I reach out to my listeners, and they suggest questions for the people that I interview. Okay. 
Not only does it take all the workload off of me, but it comes up. <laughs> wow, with, this sounds like a great <laughs> thing to get into. It's a scam. <laughs> uh, but it, they come up with questions that I'd never d- think of in a million years. So we're going to have some fun. We'll use these as some jumping off points, okay. okay? Let's start with this one. What was your biggest influence in acting? Was there one particular moment or actor or role you saw that made you decide you wanted to be an actor from that point on? And that's from Dan Alicata. He came up with that. Hey, Dan. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. He came uh, you. you know, I never knew I wanted to be an actor until I went to college. But looking back... And wow, kind of, you were late. Yeah, putting kind of everything together, there's no doubt that uh, Benny Hill, Harvey Corman, Tim Conway, all those people were massive influences on my sense of humor. Um and then as I sort of started to understand performance and things like that as I got older, then the John Candys, the the John Belushi's and those types of people started coming in. But it wasn't until I really got to Chicago, or I mean to uh, college and did a play, that I started paying attention to things uh, and being, I guess, what he would probably, Dan, would be inspired by, you know, stuff. And then it was, you know, Chris Farley and all the Second City people right. that, that I, you know, when I moved to Chicago, I actually got to meet. Did you pick Chicago as a location because Second City was there and your plan was to go study there? I picked Chicago because I was familiar with the city. I wow. had been a couple times and loved it. And my high school counselor was a Gray Line tour guide there. And uh, he told me that the Chicago is the Chicago is a grid. And if you can play Battleship, you can navigate <laughs> in Chicago. And I thought, well... I've played a few games of Battleship. I think I'll move to Chicago. <laughs> but that's the reason over New York or Los Angeles? Yeah, well, Chicago seemed closer. You know, it was. I was in Manhattan, Kansas. Right. And it, it, the only reason I really pursued prof- acting professionally was because I had done three plays in Manhattan, Kansas, Kansas State. And people there said, hey, you're pretty good. And I've said it a thousand times, but it's the truth. I was naive enough to believe that if somebody in Manhattan, Kansas said I was good, well, they must know what they were talking about. Sure. So Chicago felt like a place I could go find out if they knew what they were talking about. Without making the full commitment of going yeah. across country or something yeah. like that. And back then, you could have a career in Chicago. Like, that's true. When I moved to Chicago, I thought, well, that's where I'm going to stake my, my claim. A theater actor could make a pretty good Absolutely. living in Chicago. Second City, Steppenwolf, Goodman, industrials, commercials, the, the occasional movie part that came to town, you know? So I thought that's where I was moving. What was life like in Kansas for you pre that then? What were your goals, aspirations? What did you want to do? Did you have anything in mind? Well, as a kid, you know, people know that are familiar with my career that I wanted to be a clown in the circus. Right. That, that's really what I wanted to, to be. Uh, and then I went to college and kind of had hung all that stuff up. I did birthday parties and things like that as a kid. Uh, on the weekends and learn magic and balloons and you know that kind of stuff and then when I went to college I didn't want to go to college I was a discus thrower uh, and I went to a year of junior college and then I hurt my shoulder and broke my foot in one one fall oh uh, lord sleepwalking <laughs> I thought it was a discus related no, no, no. it's sleepwalking <laughs> and you know it's like those kinds of things make you evaluate like and reevaluate like well okay well, what am I really doing here I knew I wasn't like good enough to go to the Olympics or anything like that so mm-hmm. like what am I what am I doing? So then I transferred to Kansas State where all my friends had gone and my brother and sister had gone and was sort of the school that I wanted to go to as a kid anyway. And 
my parents just said, you know, go find something that you're interested in because I was a terrible student. I mean, I don't think any of us are ever surprised when we find out none of us were very good students. Right. Um, it's, our, it's our last choice, really, where yeah, we end up in yeah. this business. Um, so I went there, and my parents gave me the advice just to find something that was interesting. Well, I grew up in Kansas City, and right outside of Kansas City is Leavenworth, Kansas, and yeah. my dad's business was in Leavenworth. So prisons were a backdrop of my childhood growing up, and I was fascinated by it. So when I got to Kansas State and found out that you could have a major called criminal justice and that you could go to prisons, <laughs> I was like, that was okay, the allure. yeah, I'll do that. And all the athletes were in the, uh, those oh, classes. So sure. it was easy class. Slam dunk. Yeah. Speaking of Leavenworth, I got this uh, question for you from Louis Novak from Leavenworth, Kansas. Oh, cool. He says, I live 15 minutes from where Eric graduated high school at Piper High School. Mm-hmm. I went to Immaculata High School, yep. which is now closed. He said, we played several football games, had multiple track meets at his high school. I was wondering if Eric has any fond memories of Leavenworth or Immaculata in general, and does he get back to Kansas very often? Well, I certainly remember playing junior high basketball in Immaculata's gym because it was, I think, the smallest gym we played in. Oh, really? Yeah, there were no bleachers. It was just like one row of, of benches on each side. It was tiny. And uh, it was, of course, a Catholic high school. Right. Uh, and I remember playing football at IMAC on the field. And then as far as Leavenworth goes, I IMAC, still... IMAC, was that the, uh, IMAC. the, the, the yeah. nickname for it? That's yeah. great. As far as Leavenworth goes, like I said, my dad's business was there, 201 Miami, for many years. And then out behind uh, Rusty Eck Ford, he'll know exactly where that is, <laughs> um, was the other place uh, for 30 years there in Leavenworth. So when I was home, I just... Um, had dinner at the Metropolitan Cafe right across the street from the Federal Penitentiary there. So, yeah, oh, cool. I make it to Leavenworth. Uh, he also brings up something that I definitely wanted to talk about because I was not aware of this until I read these uh, these questions. I was not aware of the Big Slick, mm-hmm. the thing you guys do in Kansas City, which is just such a cool event and a great charity. And for those who don't know, can you expand upon that a little bit? Because I think it's such a worthy cause. Yeah, Big Slick was started by Rob Riggle. He is from Kansas City. He asked Paul Rudd and Jason Sudeikis, who are also from Kansas City, to join him in a charity event that was first poker-themed. Then the Missouri Gaming Commission decided, hey, we want some of that cancer kid money, too. <laughs> like they do. Yeah. yeah. They're so greedy, those cancer yeah. kids, by hey, the way. It's hey, me, me, where's me. our cut here, oh, guys? cure me from cancer. <laughs> oh, I'm so sick. Give me money. Ugh. So we moved the... they. And th- then they asked me to join, Dave Keckner and I to join, who's also from right outside of Kansas City. Know, so yeah. um, we're all from that area. Um, and they ask us to join as hosts. And every year we ask about 30 people to come home to Kansas City. We put on um, an auction, a little show where we ask usually three or four of our, our friends to perform. Weird Al Yankovic has been gracious with his time. Oh, and, wow. Uh, amazing. Yeah, he's a great performer, isn't he? He's incredible. If, like... I, I think of the goofy songs and everything. You don't realize what a great musician he is. He is in the middle of every note that he sings. His pitch is perfect. And the thing that is the most crazy about Al, I can call him Al. Sure. Is that. Or weird to his friends. Yeah. <laughs> is that, and most people won't get the opportunity to see this, the transformation he makes from being Al Yankovic to Weird Al Yankovic is phenomenal. It's he he becomes possessed by someone else. It's really tr- truthfully one of the m- most uh, uh, cool things that I've got to witness. And he did that in Kansas City. He performed for us. But anyway, we raised money for Children's Mercy Hospital there. I think last year we hit one point seven million dollars for wow. them. And um, I think over the course of 
of the eight years or seven years that they've been doing it, I've been a host now will be my fifth year. I think we're, you know, around seven, eight million dollars. And for those who don't know, um, the hospital Children's Mercy, Children's Mercy is it's one of those hospitals that just takes every case, right? Nobody gets turned away by going there. Nobody pays. Nobody pays. So it's like St. Jude or one of those those hospitals. And it's more beds than St. Jude's. It's got 300 and some beds. And, you know, we're constantly reminded um, every year of the importance of the work that we and so many other people do that raise money for cancer because we inevitably find out about the kids that we meet that are no longer here. So yeah. it's very, very, uh, very important work for all of us. And I'm, I'm proud of those guys for starting it. And I'm proud. I'm happy that they asked me to join. Well, I, I you know what I'm going to do on the, the website, on the Ralph report website, I'll put a link up. So that's awesome. Uh, It'll be June, first week of June this year. And if you, you can donate money and you get a cool t-shirt, uh, when you donate money, uh, did you do something with Omaze last year? Did you guys put something together with yep, them? We, we did an Omaze thing where somebody could, uh, come that we flew them to Kansas City and they participated in the softball game with us. We play on Royals on on the Kaufman Field before the Royals game. They shut oh, down wow. batting practice for us. That's crazy during that game, and uh, we play a softball game right before the game. Well, maybe you'll do something again with them because Nick Teverball. I think he was. He said he tried to to win that because it was such a cool event. So a lot of people they turned me on to this. I had no idea about things. Oh, that's like, so nice. And Keckner's a friend too, and I had no idea you guys did this. But it's so cool that uh, you, you have guys conscientious listeners. I do. On the Ralph yes. Report, people that care about others. Exactly. Unlike the host. Make sure you become a patron of the Ralph Report if you aren't already, so you can hear the rest of that interview with Eric Stone Street as we progressively get drunker throughout the afternoon. Uh, also this week. Sex U's coming up. We're going to have a great time. We're going to be talking about The Bachelor, of course, with Petros Papadakis this week, all the showbiz news, and many, many more things coming up this week on The Ralph Report. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you had a good time. I love you. I mean it. Bye. <laughs>